Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ the gravity that holds everything together. All right. Hey, welcome to another uh, episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Uh, Today, I am here with uh, Matt Tebby. That's me. Co-founder of Gravity Leadership. But we're also joined by Brian Zond, who uh, is joining us from his home in uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. Right. And, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Brian uh, has joined us and is going to be talking a little bit about uh, prayer today. We're going to talk about prayer um, and his journey into um, a specific form of prayer, a way of prayer uh, that uh, he's actually begun to teach other people through an event called Prayer School. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that Um for the reason that uh, Gravity Leadership is actually involved in two upcoming prayer schools, just wanted to say this up front. Yeah. One in Atlanta that's coming up on uh, May 18th and 19th um, of 2018, and then uh, one in New York City as well, which is going to come up all the way in September, September 14th and 15th, and so um, there'll be links to those in the show notes. Uh, but we wanted to chat with Brian today just a little bit about prayer uh, and prayer school um, and that kind of thing. So, Brian, um, the first question I have is, uh, I've heard you say before that prayer school is uh, your favorite thing to do out of all the things that you go and do and travel and speak and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey into this kind of prayer. I mean, talk to us about what prayer school is, um, but then talk about your journey into formative prayer, this kind of way of prayer that um, that you had to embrace Um what did your prayer life look like before this, and and what led to this journey for you? Well, those are about seven questions. They are go, it's true. I, I, the, an, the answer <laughs> to those questions would be prayer school. Actually, so, <laughs> great. Good I'll to have you on the podcast, yeah, Brian. Yeah, great. Great to have you. Thanks. We'll see you in sep- <laughs> September. No, yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, I don't. I don't know that I said that prayer school is my favorite thing to do. Although it's one of them. 
I think what I would say is it's the best thing I do, or That's maybe maybe even I could say it more accurately. I don't think there's anything I do that is more helpful for people. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So as I think of myself as a pastor, I mean, I'm also a preacher, a writer, whatever else, but I suppose really my life's vocation has been that of a pastor. As a pastor, nothing I do is more helpful than teaching people how to pray well. Hmm. So that's what prayer school is about. Prayer hmm. school is is an accident <laughs> like all of the best things are. I mean, I, you know, you can sit around with a notepad and dream and have a plan. Oh, here's what here, here's our five-year strategy. None of that happened. Yeah. Uh, what happened was after a few decades of being frustrated with prayer, I, I had a very dramatic encounter with Christ as a teenager, was part of the Jesus movement. I was I was officially a pastor at age 22, but really I had been doing the work of the pastor since I was 17. Mm. So I've been a pastor longer than I've been an adult. <laughs> 20 years, right? 20? 20 years? So, 17 yeah. plus 20? Yeah. So, so that's, um, that's something, huh? Mm. Um, I don't recommend that, by the way, but it's just, it's just, it's just how it worked out. Yeah. And I knew how to preach, more or less. I, I kind of knew how to study the Bible and had no problem doing that. Prayer was always a source of frustration for me. And it would exist in fits and starts and vows and failures and brave attempts and mm. disheartening disillusionment, all that sort of thing. Um, and beginning around the year 2004, I'm not, I'm not going to tell all of it because it just takes way too long. But really through a series of, of all things, a series of dreams, hmm. I was directed to start using prayer books. Now, I, you know, I grew up Jesus people, Jesus movement. We didn't have prayer books. You know, we were as low church. We were so low church, we wouldn't even call our churches churches. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. right. We called them fellowships or teaching centers or, you know, yeah. if you had seven people, World Outreach Center. And... Uh, <laughs> Eight so, people, eight people, international world international. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Intergalactic. Because yep. we went to Mexico one time. <laughs> uh, so, uh, over a period of a couple of years, by experimenting, initially with a lot of Philistickles prayer books. Oh, yeah. You know about sure. The Divine so, Hours, right? Yeah. And then, and then discovering the Book of Common Prayer and also some Orthodox prayer uh, books, I began, without really intending to do so, I came up with, I'm, I'll use the word liturgy, a mm -hmm. track, a trellis, a structure, a form of morning prayer that I never wrote down. It, it happened organically enough and naturally enough that I just, that it was all memorized, but it became my structure. And I was now praying this way, and I knew it was good. It was good for my soul, and I felt like for the first time, Prayer was something I, I deeply yearned for, looked forward to, didn't feel guilty about, and was being properly formed. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, so that was all I was looking for. I'm content at this point. But the people that I do life with, our leadership team, the people that I see nearly every day and we work, they notice changes in me. Hmm. I would think they would probably describe the changes as much more peaceful, you know, that sort of stuff, just a, a contentment, hmm. um, not 
anxious. And they asked me, you know, what was making the difference? I said, well, I, I think it probably has mostly to do with learning how to pray well. Well, they said, what do you do? Well, I, I have this morning prayer liturgy. I do. Oh, really? Could you teach it to us? Well, yeah, yeah, I'll teach it to you. I think it'll take about an hour. And I started and I realized, first of all, I couldn't teach it in an hour. And I couldn't teach it at all without writing it down because I'd never written it down. Right. And so I, for the first time, wrote down this prayer liturgy, taught it to the team. They began employing it. Then word gets out and people in the church want me to teach them. To the point now, I I never set out to do it. And I try to keep it small. And so I started teaching the church how to do it. I would meet with people for five consecutive Wednesday mornings, early in the morning. And I was real, you know, you have to be there. You have to be on time. Don't play around with me on this. I'm (laughs) going to really help you, but you got to let me help you. You were peaceful, but serious. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very serious. Um, And then I started getting, people asked me to record it. And I, you know, I record everything, all my sermons, you know, just put them out there. I'm not, I have no sense of being proprietary about it like that. But I thought, no, I I don't think I should record it. Hmm. This wasn't some sort of marketing thing. It's just, I think... That would mislead people. I think really there are some things that still cannot be really transmitted through ones and zeros. Hmm. And I want to be incarnation. I want to be present. And so I said, no, I don't, I feel like that, that would be a mistake for me to do that. They said, well, yeah, but we live in Seattle, so we can't come for five consecutive Wednesday mornings. Hmm. Would you do a weekend version? I thought, I guess I would. (laughs) And so I did. Mm -hmm. And now what I do, and I keep, I cap them off at a hundred because we have a very nice place for prayer. It's conducive to that. It has a sacred feel. It's a prayer chapel. And so I just cap it off at a hundred when I do one locally Yeah. here in St. Joseph. And all I have to do is tweet like three times mm-hmm. and it sells out like that. I'm doing one this weekend and we have people from a hundred people from 20 States. Yeah. So it's not a local thing. Right. They come from all right. over. And um, it's just kind of spread by word of mouth. And now I get lots of invitations. I can't do them all. Mm-hmm. I'll be, you know, with you guys. And I'm also going to be in Los Angeles and England. I'm doing three in England. And I've already done a couple in New Zealand this year. So anyway, that's, that's how it came. It's, it's yeah. one of those accidents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This fascinates me. It's yeah. fa- it fascinates me because you, as you narrate your story, Brian, uh, you, you narrated it as, I knew how to preach. I knew how to teach. But I didn't know how to pray. And as I think about my, I'm a, uh, look, we're both local church pastors, my formation, uh, even in seminary, sort of assumed that if you had a personal relationship with Jesus, uh, that you could, you could tell him how, what you were thinking. You, right. could, you could pray just yeah. fine. In fact, when our seminary was built, they built prayer rooms in the basement, and they were so seldom used that they converted them into closets <laughs> and offices. Uh, and so it's interesting. Tell me about how... Typically, we think I need to learn how to preach, mm-hmm. uh, and prayer is something we should automatically be able to do. Yeah. But you, you talked about it. preaching came naturally to you, but you had to learn how to pray. Why do you think? Why? How do you understand that the difference there, the dichotomy? I think you can preach out of a talent. Hmm. You know, like a, a great guitarist was probably destined to be a great guitarist. They just had to find the guitar, and eventually, they were going to be able to do that. Hmm. Prayer is something different. Prayer is is not something for which I think people have a, a talent. I don't think you. Prayer comes not from the realm of talent, but from the realm of wisdom. 
Yeah. And you need a wisdom tradition to teach you how to pray. I think in the general evangelical world, even though I don't like that label right now, but that's still kind of what I've done my life in. We have placed an intolerable burden upon people in that we have communicated that you ought to pray or even given them an assumption. We assume you do pray, but not taught them how to pray. So you have the moment when Jesus' disciples say, Rabbi, teach us to pray as John taught us to pray. Hmm. And what Jesus does is he doesn't give an abstract lecture on prayer theory. He gives them a prayer. He says, when you pray, say. And he gave them a prayer, which, by the way, is what they anticipated. It's what they expected. Right. They right. Were, that's what they were asking. We don't think that way anymore. We think I need um, the principles of prayer or something like that rather than prayers. So you, you, you see early in the formation, you know, the very earliest moment in the formation of the church there in Jerusalem following Pentecost, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. I think we would, you know, the apostles' teaching, you know, teaching about Jesus, handing, handing on, passing on what Jesus had already taught them. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, we're doing life together, breaking of bread, I think that's communion, Eucharist. And, well, it should be translated, the prayers. Yeah. Definite article, plural, prayers, the prayers. Yeah. Many translations want to translate that prayer. Notice the difference. If I say, dedicate yourself to prayer. It's very kind of abstract, open-ended, you yeah. know, I'll give it a shot, see what I can do. Yeah. But if I say, dedicate yourself to the prayers, oh, we have prayers? Right. Well, when what, do they take place? They? My, yeah. my contemporary version prayers? says popcorn prayers. Yeah. <laughs> Just whatever you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. So there's there's been in the church, there's been this settled sort of conviction that we have, like, prayers passed down. Prayer is fathered into me rather than comes out of me naturally. Right. Uh, yes, until you get to late Protestantism, where mm. the, the assumption is it's only authentic if, it gener if it's generated within your own self. Yeah. Right. And, and, and then I express and it. So we, we have a, a kind of a disdain toward anything that's tradition. Mm -hmm. But that just means we're left to do all of our own praying by ourselves, and it becomes really, I mean... Are you going to invent your own wisdom tradition? <laughs> Probably not. Right. And so, I mean, can I am I can I be as wise as the collective wisdom of the church over two thousand years? No. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. So I, I need them to teach me how to pray. Yes. Just, just like I need them to teach me the faith. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I don't. We don't get to make Christianity up. It's a received faith. Yeah. And the prayer practices of the historic church are something that are passed on. Mm. And, received. and so uh, what, what I say all the time in prayer school, and this is probably the, the single most significant sentence, is that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do. That's how we've misunderstood prayer. Right. But to be properly formed. Mm. And toward that end, we cannot trust ourselves to do all of our own praying. Now, I always tell people, I say, look, I'm not taking away from you prayer from the heart. You know, this, this extemporaneous, just, you know, I'm talking to Jesus. You, you, I'm not going to take that away, but I'm going to buttress that with structures of prayer, with, with well-crafted prayers mm -hmm. that are designed to form you. In fact, your extemporaneous 
uh, improvisational third verse guitar solo praying will get better as a result of being formed by wise prayers. So prayer from the heart is not taken away, but, and in fact, it it remains there at the center, the heart of prayer, but surrounding that are the practices of wise praying in the form of already crafted prayers that we pray our life into Mm. and they form us. That's a lot of what prayer school is about. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned this journey. I resonate a lot with this journey of finding myself unable to pray well, or at least frustrated with my prayer life, Uh, which is what, I mean, we came out to, we were one of those uh, sojourners, uh, Matt and I, and uh, my wife and my daughter came out three years ago? Yeah. It was about three years ago, um, this month, I think, uh, to a prayer school in St. Joseph. We drove all the way across Illinois, which is like one (laughs) of those old cartoons where the same backdrop just keeps passing as you drive. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a lot of states like that we found uh, heading out there uh, towards Kansas. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So I mean, we like how long was the drive? Six hours? Eight hours? I can't how long remember. did it feel to me, or how long was it? No, it was about almost <laughs> it was a eight, long time. Almost eight. So anyway, so there was obviously like I'm thinking about my own experience and thinking, okay, there's something like I don't like being in a car for that long. So there's something that drew me out there. Something that felt like okay, I gotta like I was hungry for something different in my prayer life. And you mentioned you know you tweet three times and these things are sold out. People are people are hungry for these things. They're happening all over. People seem to be wanting to learn how to pray. Like, what do you? Why? Is how do that? you account for this? Like, yeah. what do you think is going on right now that people are so uh, hungry for this? I, I think it may be as simple as people are becoming aware that we're living in a time where we are being radiated by a lot of soul damage, the rage, the reaction that are, are in many circles, our Christianity has become infected by a culture war virus that causes our Christian experience to not produce deeper peace, but in fact, produce deeper anger and rage and reaction. And so if someone's just even hints, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a way you can pray that will bring healing to your soul mm-hmm. and help you to be properly formed. I've found that they jump at this. Now, for whatever reason, and I don't, I mean, there may be several reasons, probably numerous reasons. Uh, prayer school, at least, at least when I do it here, where people have to put, you know, people have to put a great effort to come to St. Joseph. If, if someone brings me into their own local church or whatever, then it's easier. But the people coming here are way disproportionately full-time ministry people, mm. probably nearly half. Wow. And I find that, I mean, maybe they have the resources of the time they can, you know, that's part of their job. They can go and do things like that. Maybe part of it, but it's still done over a weekend. Um, I, I think that indicates that, that there is a unease among pastoral people that they themselves know that they don't really know how to pray well. How in the world are they going to teach people to pray well? Because they don't even know themselves. And so those are some thoughts I have along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. Why is, I can't, you know, say it's this, but it's certainly real, isn't it? I mean, I don't mind doing this. I'll go, you know, where I can, when I can, but it seems insane to me in one sense that I get that many invitations. (laughs) If there's, there's, there's kind of a sadness to it. You you understand? Totally. 
that, that what I'm doing is so needed. <laughs> it, you would think it shouldn't be that needed, but it is. Yes. Yeah. I think that, I think that, uh, that does account for a lot of that. Um, what would you say, you know, they're, they're in the, even in the midst of all of this, there's people who are willing to, like you said, to take a chance at like, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's something deeper uh, that I can uh, engage with, you know, that'll bring me some healing. Um, but there's, there's still quite a few people I run into who are, they're a little bit suspicious of all the liturgy stuff. You yeah, know, it's like, a Christian swear, you know? Right, yeah, liturgy is sort of like, especially among like evangelical or Protestant circles, you know, Lower church. where, you know, the Roman Catholics used to be the boogeyman kind of thing. Like, right. there, there's still a lot of suspicion around, what, what are you telling me, just read these prayers and I'm, I'm good? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what would you say well, to somebody who's a little bit, like, they, they get triggered by liturgy, that, that, those I sorts understand. of things? Uh, because I that was I would have been one of those at one point in my life. Hmm. Uh, it would have seemed less authentic, you know. Who I don't need somebody to tell me how to pray that sort of thing. Um, well, first of all, liturgy, which would in many low church evangelical circles is a foreign word. First of all, it is a biblical word, if you if that means something to you. <laughs> it's, it's it's an anglicized Greek word, liturgeo, that gets translated worship or something like that usually in the biblical text. A lot of people know that it literally means work of the people or the people's work. The idea being, okay, this is, there, there's the priests would do certain things, but but here's here's what here's what the public does. This is this is people's work. So it, it, first of all, it's a Bible word. Secondly, I say if you by liturgy, I simply mean a track of prayer. That's how I'm using this word. Here's here's a track of prayer that is well designed to bring you somewhere and to, and to do accomplish something. If you say, but I don't like a liturgy, I say, but you already have one. Mm. Let me listen to you pray a few times. I will write down your liturgy. I'll say, here's your liturgy. It's not very good. <laughs> Let me give you a better one. Yeah. Uh, because what happens is if, we, if, if the individual self, with all of its limitations and the reality of that sometimes we don't even know what we don't know, if the individual self is responsible for all of their own praying, how do you get anywhere? Because what happens is an angry person can only pray angry prayers. A fearful person prays fearful prayers. A greedy person prays greedy prayers. And there's, you don't get anywhere. You just, in fact, you can almost make it worse. Yeah. Right. You can, you can, so, you can make it, make it hardened. You can pray yourself into it. Right. Almost. Right. Yeah. And so he, so I'm offering a track mm. or, you know, I sometimes use the analogy of, because uh, I like music and stuff. You know, if you see some great classic rock guitarist, Clapton or Jeff Beck or somebody soloing, you, you look at it and you go, wow, that's, you know, that's a tremendous example of self-expression. And so it is. But, you know, I know enough to know that behind that are learning blues scales. Right. And all kinds of scales. And so in giving people a liturgy, I'm giving you the scales that will not cramp your capacity to pray, but in fact, ultimately enhance it. Yes. But you need these tools. Yeah, and we get, so, yeah, we get this in other domain, domains, right, of our lives, arenas. Like if, I, totally. if I want to get in shape, one day I'm, you know, I'm watching Biggest Loser and I've just killed a gallon of ice cream and I'm like, no, I, I need to actually take <laughs> care of my body. I don't think I know exactly what I need to drop 40 pounds and to become a beach body. Right. No, I go to I go to you know I go to Beachbody and I get a video yeah. or I go to a personal trainer. You submit yourself to a wisdom tradition. And and if if somebody were if somebody were to say I don't need anybody to tell me how to get in shape, we'd look at them like they're crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The other metaphor. I, I think of just picking up a guitar. Just pick up a guitar. Yeah. And say, just, I'm just going to be authentic. Yeah. Just express yourself. <laughs> you're, you're going to be crappy. It's going yeah. to be noise. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. Yeah. That's a that's a nice self expression, but nobody wants to listen to it. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's good, Brian. Yeah, the other the other metaphor you used uh, was a trellis earlier when you talked about the the, the liturgy, the the morning prayer liturgy. Um, well, I think that makes yeah, sense as well. Well, you know? people will say things like you'll you'll, you'll you'll hear people say, "I don't like liturgy because it's dead." Mm. Now, I'm not naive. I know what they mean by that, but I also hasten to correct them. That is a category error. Right. Liturgy is neither dead nor alive. What's alive is the person praying or not. Mm-hmm. If you can get a, what, the, the question you ask of liturgy isn't whether it's alive or dead. It's, is it true or false? Right. Are, are the words that we are saying about God or to God, are they true? They correspond to Christian reality or are they false? So if you can get a live person praying a true liturgy, that's where the potential for healthy formation occurs. Yes. So if yes. we're walking through a garden, you know, and and there's a trellis, which is a you know wooden structure for, for that which is alive, plants, climbing vines, things like that. Tomatoes. To to, to ascend, yeah. Peace. If, if I if 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 I'm walking with you in a garden, I say, oh, trellis. I don't like trellises. They're dead. Right. <laughs> You know, think well that doesn't that's that's a nonsensical statement. Of course they're dead, but they're, that's their point is to give structure for that which is alive. Right. And so a liturgy is not the question is whether it's alive or dead. It's is it a proper structure for that which is alive, and that is your own praying. Right. Yep. Right. And that and that certainly has been true. Like in my life, personally, my testimony is like after after having uh, you know a form of prayer, you know that we learned at prayer school. Like my my prayer life, I feel like turned a huge corner. Yeah. Um. Just by just by doing and and every morning I get up, like a lot of mornings I don't feel like doing this. Yeah. Right. A lot of mornings I feel anxious and I want to get to work. I've got a lot on my plate. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I but do. there is a submitting to, and for, for me like saying it out loud is a way for me to like slow my mind down to be able to just submit to the rhythm here. Submit right. to these prayers by by saying them out loud. I'm gonna have to take at least for me. I know, like I have to take at least a half an hour to get through this, yeah. uh, which just is, has been extremely formative, extremely helpful for me. Yeah, there's. I want to ask you. I, two themes are emerging, Brian, as you're talking. One is that we have this idea that that prayer or worship, for it to be true, it needs to be authentic. It needs to be an, uh, a, a, a ver, like have veracity of my own expression, mm-hmm. and and to the degree that. I feel this as true. It's good worship, right? The second thing right. that's emerging is um, worship is good if it does, if it makes me feel something, like if it has this affect on me, right? Right. right? So it's it's expression, and then sort of like a, a feeling, sort of a feeling dopamine hit. <laughs> well, that that's yeah, has to do with our entertainment saturated culture and society. Yeah, that we review everything. Everything has a Rotten Tomatoes score, right? Right. Yeah. So, so we, 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 we tend to evaluate things according to entertainment value. Now, we wouldn't want to say that, but really, I mean, a person gets done praying, and if they're not properly formed, they'll, they'll evaluate it about the same way as going to a movie or a concert. Did I like it? Was it entertaining? Was I bored? Was it... And I, I really urge people not to do that. Right. Trust the prayers. Here's the prayers. Pray the prayers because 
I think we all understand that most people in the course of their life attempting to be a Christian will go through these seasons of the dark night of the soul where no matter what they do, they feel nothing. And I, I, won't, I won't unpack why I think that happens and why I think they're necessary, but I'll just say that they are dangerous times. Because if everything has been predicated upon how I feel about it, and then you go through this barren desert, this dark night of the soul where for six months you feel very little or nothing, then you're in danger of simply abandoning everything. So I think there are times in our lives where the, the safest, the best thing we can have is a prayer liturgy. Because there may be times, I tell people, look, if you can't pray, at least say your prayers. Yeah. Right? Do you get that? Yep. Yeah. Can't totally. pray. If you're at a point in your life where you can't pray, at least say your prayers. And it can carry you through that time. Right. Yeah. And that's for you. It's not for God. I think that's one of the huge paradigm shifts for people. Like, you don't say your prayers because you get brownie points with God. Or you that's the way you control God. Like, he's like right. a genie that you rub. Right. And you have, to, you have to say your prayers three times a day, and then God will you know, bless you or keep you safe or whatever. But this is more for your own formation. It's for your own good. It's, you know, like that, that's the shift that, uh, that I see people needing to make before saying your prayers makes sense to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one final question, Brian. As you, you mentioned that your staff saw you, they saw you more peaceful. Right. Um, can you, are you able to identify other other attributes or characteristics of your leadership with at your church and in your family uh, that this prayer routine or this prayer liturgy has has affected? Well, it's it's all part of a whole. When we when I talk about learning how to pray, this is actually part of a much larger story of this massive transition I went through, beginning in two thousand four. That and this is a very central part, but it's not everything. So, um, I mean, I I really did get born again again. You know, I, I I to use the typical evangelical language, I was born again when I was 15 years old, but I was born again again when I was 45 years old, and it was it it's debatable which conversion was more dramatic. Uh, and so, so much changed. I'll give you just an anecdote rather than an answer. I'll give an anecdote. Um, I had, you know, because so I'm pastor of this church for forever, you know, and uh, I had my office as pastors do. And in my office, I had a big, a big desk. It's an imposing desk <laughs> that I would sit behind. And then, and then those that would come in would sit before my desk and it was it was kind of the kind of a desk that you might imagine a banker or a lawyer having when i began to go through this transition that involved learning how to pray and a number but some theology i eventually got rid of the i completely redesigned first of all i changed the name it's i i no longer refer to my office Hmm. i have an office it's my daily office it's prayer my workspace is a study and I com- I got rid of the desk. I don't. It's gone. It just it's gone. I'm. It's somewhere else in the building. I don't know who has it. Somebody has it, but I don't have it. Uh, Probably the youth pastor. And I, I reconfigured <laughs> things. I had kind of a stand up desk over to one side, and then there's a table, and it's it feels much more 
it it doesn't feel corporate at yeah, all. That was the word that it came. Feels to warm and inviting and comfortable. It's the kind of place where you might live, rather than uh, manage read memos <laughs> <laughs> or write them. Not corporate. So uh, that's an anecdote that might point to what happened very broadly throughout mm. all of my leadership style. I just I went from being a, a version of some you know religious CEO. You know that I don't. I want. I want to be fair to my former self. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to cast my, you know, younger self as a caricature. Yeah. But there was a lot of that. Yeah. Right. Um, some of this, though, is is what Richard Rohr would describe as first half, second half of life things. But a lot of people never successfully transition into second half of life. I think especially pastors. Yeah. Because our churches in and at least in the evangelical world, are so um, stuck in first half of life thinking in terms of achievement. We're, we're basically we're mimicking the American corporate culture. Yes. And using the same metrics to determine whether we're successful or not. I was able, for whatever reason, for probably numerous reasons, to completely cut loose of that well and i I'm, i just don't think that way anymore and the drive to succeed in that sense is gone and so that changes my whole leadership style yes mm. and that's what that's why we created gravity leadership brand i mean i think at 45 pastors go through the second half of life and they some get lamborghinis and you got liturgy you know and so there's <laughs> and so there's a there's a sense in which there's a lot of uh, younger and older leaders who look who are looking at um, who are sitting behind that desk and trying to manage uh, a large corporate sort of organization, and they're dying. Uh, and yeah. so one of the reasons why we went to prayer school, hosted prayer school, and are hosting two more is I think that this, a contemplative way of praying, that where you're submitting yourself to the ancient prayers, helps fill out the, I think, the, ima- the social imaginary, the soulish architecture that, that can begin to make sense of the kind of leadership, the kind of pastoring, the kind of inhabiting the world that you're talking about. And yeah. so that's why we're interested. That's why we're excited. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited to, to continue to partner. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have another uh, podcast episode where we talk a little bit more about that theological journey that you just okay. mentioned, uh, if, you're, if, if you're up for it, Brian. I'm up for it. Okay. Great. Prayer school, friends. Why would you want to go to school? Maybe you hated school. Maybe you're uh, you're older now, wiser. You've got six degrees. Why do I need to go back to school? I, I can just say that prayer school, uh, Ben and I and Ben Hardman, we've all been to prayer school. It It's fundamentally changed the way that I pray, my spiritual life, and my connection with God. Uh, and at, uh, at, at $65 uh, is, is ridiculously cheap for a two-day event. So, per school, Brian... That could, that could change your life. Yeah. I mean, so it's a, it's a two-day. It's an evening-morning event where Brian just sits and, and, you know, you just get to hang out with Brian and he talks through and teaches through his prayer routine in the morning. It involves prayers from the Book of Common Prayer, from mm-hmm. uh, Orthodox, from, uh, from Scripture. I mean, there's tons of Scripture in this liturgy. So, yes. if... Um, you know, scripture is our first liturgy, right? right. It, and and it, and so and then he he answers questions, and you get to interface and connect with other people who are wanting to learn a way to pray as well. Yeah. So Ben, what are the details? Like the actual details? 
the actual dates. details of this, uh, we're, and we're going to put all this in the show notes. So if you go to uh, our website, gravityleadership.com slash podcast, or this, this episode, the URL for this episode, these will be in the show notes uh, there as well. Um, but we're doing a prayer school with Brian Zond in Atlanta on May 18th and 19th. Um, and that's a Friday night and a Saturday in Atlanta, in, actually in Marietta. Georgia, which is the suburb of Atlanta, May 18th and 19th. And a link to register for that one is in the show notes, as well as, and we just uh, confirmed this as of recording this podcast, but um, Brian is going to be joining us in New York City. Uh, one of our coaches pastors a church there in Roosevelt Island, and that's going to be September 14th and 15th. Uh, that Brian is going to be doing a prayer school in New York City. Yep, in 2018. So hopefully you can join us that. Look for the link in the show notes. We will be in Atlanta. Will one of us be there? Yeah, Hardman will be there. Mm -hmm. One of us will be in New York City as well. We'd love to talk and meet you uh, when you come. All right. Peace. So do that. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question, suggest a topic for future episodes. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful throughout the week. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.